Hey everybody, welcome to Sanity Shelves. I am Nathan, your humble and obedient host. Sanity Shelves, of course, this episode, the type of episode of Sound of Sanity where we talk about books we've been reading. And the, a consummate reader is Benjamin Solzer. It's me. The preacher who's a reader of... Righteousness? Of righteousness, yeah. Okay. I accept that. And Ben, I sense another presence in this room. <laughs> Someone I haven't felt for a <laughs> long time. <laughs> At least two or three years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think you're sensing Pastor Jake Menzel, also a consummate reader. Mm-hmm. The, the pastor who's a... Well, he's so a master of reading. He's a speeder I mean, of reader. Yeah. Speeder? A speeder of reader? The speeder who's a... <laughs> the speeder who's a reader of... Yeah, I'm sorry. Pastoring. It, it, it didn't work. It didn't work, but that's all right. You know who does work? People who read, because reading's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And Jake, yeah. you, you've been reading some books. I've read several books. I mostly listen to books these yeah, days. Yeah, me too. Let's see. Which should we talk about? So, in the past couple weeks... I finished a book called Dopamine Nation by Dr. Anna Lemke, who I think is at Stanford. That one came to me from Andrew Huberman. I listened to How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Mm. Just sort of like been living in the back of my brain since you talked about it months ago. And it's just one of those touchstones that always comes up and you see it here and there. It was always one of those books before that I had been like, I want to have a principle of never having read this Mm -hmm. and it turned into, it's such a touchstone for so many people. I feel like it would be good to have read this and... Well, and you don't have any friends and you've never influenced anyone. Yeah, exactly right. So, I mean, I might as Yeah. You got to start somewhere. (laughs) I've also been listening to a book called Relentless by Tim Grover. Tim Grover is the uh, guy who was uh, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and Dwayne Wade's personal guru trainer, athletic trainer, and mentality mindset trainer or mm. whatever. And I've gone back to this longer book that I've dabbled in here and there over six, the last six months or so. And I still have like eight hours left in it, but it's called Hold On To Your Kids by Gordon Neufeld and Gabor Mate. Oh yeah, we talked about that one, I think. Did we talk about that? Yeah. I believe we talked about that on a podcast very briefly. You had just started it. So. Yeah. I mean, there's not, we can just get that out of the way. There's not much to say about that book. It is just an attachment theory book. And a, attachment theory is really helpful so far as it goes, especially in a, a culture where the home is so fragmented. So the basic principle is parents and kids attaching to each other is the most foundational thing in, in, in childhood development. And if you don't, if kids don't attach to their parents, it creates all kinds of emotional and behavioral problems. And that's what has to be overcome in the adoption process. So any of our listeners who have gone through the adoption process or entered the world of adoption have been exposed to attachment theory and probably found it helpful. Again, Mm. insofar as it goes, it also is like any sort of modern psychological theory of parenting, its own little world that undermines a lot of other really great things 
uh, or sorry, it has its own great things, but it undermines biblical principles in other places. So mm. everything is about attachment. It takes it. one principle and elevates it to, to the whole. The whole, yeah. Uh, what's good is it takes, I think, probably the fundamental principle, uh, my son, give me your heart. Mm-hmm. And, and so because it focuses on that fundamental principle, even if you like go, if you're thinking of Proverbs chapter one, the very first exhortation begins with my son, listen to listen to me. Don't forsake my teaching or your mother's teaching their graceful garland, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's don't immediately don't go and join a gang. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is basically the the fundamental dichotomy that attachment parenting sets up and that this book sets up. Kids will either attach to their parents hmm. or they will attach to their peers. And what you don't want is for them to attach to their peers and in a primary way mm-hmm. where you have kids raising kids and kids orienting to kids because it's not safe, then peers aren't safe. Peers, it's power struggles and power plays and hierarchies and you can't show vulnerability because vulnerability is going to be attacked and it, everything then moves in the direction of of sex and violence mm-hmm. and all of that's destructive and that's what the public schools do and that's what kids whose first orientation is to their peers where it's they have to always either have the cool clothes or be out with their friends or if their friends are doing it they have to do it and they get obsessive about it and they get kind of sucked into this whole whole world instead of having their first orientation and their security and their strength and their confidence come from my mom and dad love me and I love them and I don't feel as concerned about fitting in. Right. And that actually allows me to have healthy relationships and healthy bonds with peers that aren't obsessive or weird and stuff like that. Right. But anyhow, the whole point, that's the kind of thing they talk about in the book. The whole point is that's like Proverbs 1. Mm-hmm. So it's a fa- foundational fundamental principle, but then they go and they undermine discipline and any number of other right. other things. So it's been interesting to dabble in because I've heard for years people that I look up to and respect who have adopted kids talk about attachment and attachment theory and the difficulties they've had with adopted adopted kids and how challenging it is for for a kid to grow up without having a healthy bonded relationship with mom or dad. And I've experienced some of that myself just broken home, divorce, not on the level of adoption, but on my own little, my own little level. And so, anyhow. It's fascinating. As you're talking, I'm just thinking about how one of the, one of the things that has been most striking about movies, about, about doing our movie podcast, about watching and thinking about where popular culture is at over the, over the years that we've done it, is that maybe the sacred tenet of, 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 of Hollywood is found family. Yep. Your father will betray you. This is like every Marvel movie, every Star Wars thing now. Your father, your actually f- actual family will betray you. It'll be icky. It'll be complicated and icky at best. It'll be compromised at best. Even if you're King T'Challa, your father <laughs> made a deal with, yeah. or whatever he did. I don't know what he, I don't even yeah. remember. And what's important is that you find a peer group mm-hmm. that you attach to and that you that becomes your family and then order and you order your life around that and then you can find healing and wholeness with your peer group. Right. And they're sort of As angsty and existential to your... enough to acknowledge, well, it's really messy to do it with your peer group. I mean, that if, if the right. Guardians of the Galaxy's movies have any insight, it's that. 
James Gunn is <laughs> hates life enough that he's he's kind of honest about that. It's one of the things that's dispiriting about the second Guardians movie is like these people barely like each other, but uh, that tracks. Right, I mean, it makes yeah. psychological sense. Mm, yeah, but <clears throat> but it's just fascinating to hear a secular person say, "Hey, it'd be nice if we were attached to our actual." biological family units that that might be important yep because it's not it's not the religion of today yeah so that's that's all that book's about and again it's not like groundbreaking or anything like that but it is helpful insofar as it goes because it kind of keeps circling back around Mm -hmm. it keeps circling back around and it's like dale carnegie latches on to a couple truths that are useful and helpful but taken to the extreme are unhelpful. Mm-hmm. What's a practical, I don't know, what's, what's a practical thing you could tell parents from the book? Like, where, what's a, what's, how, how would it change the way that you counsel parents and kids and maybe even adoptive kids? I don't know. That's, that's three or four questions at once, sorry. But. I've been back in the book since this morning, and I listened to about 10 minutes of it for the first time in several weeks, so that's not going to be easy for me to pull off the top of my head. Sure. But I think... The main thing that you're going to get is just that, I think more than anything, the insight into, here's what happens. And you see this all over the place when you're dealing with families. You have kids that have behavioral issues that don't want to please mom and dad or please the people in their home. And what happens is that turns into a power struggle because mom and dad then feel impotent at home. And so then mm-hmm. they go and they search for any number of tactics in order to get to coax to they'll subscribe to one theory for a while and another theory for a while and one set of tactics and another set of tactics, positive reinforcement, whatever, right? Because their goal is behavior. And they feel the fact that their kids don't care and don't want to do what they're told. Mm-hmm. They don't want to obey mom and dad. They don't want They're not oriented to mom and dad. In fact, they're oriented towards the opposite. Mom and dad want to go uh, to a movie and they want to go, now they want to go to, to, they want to stay home and read a book. Mom and dad want to read books. Now they want to go outside and play. Mom and dad want them to go outside and play. Now they want to go, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Or that sense of impotence and desire for control can take over a home so that it becomes, everything becomes a power play. Everything becomes about control and it becomes a cycle of, I'm going to be in control. No, I'm going to be in control. I'm the parent. I'm in control. I'm going to control you. I'm a kid. Mm -hmm. I want control. And at the root of that is just the basic reality that you've not actually built the relationship between you and your, you and your kids. They don't trust you. They don't trust that you're for them. They don't trust that you love them. It's not that different, actually, than than marriage. If you talk about the what I call the spiral of doom, and that book calls, I always forget what it calls it. The crazy cycle, I think. Crazy cycle, right? Hmm. Yeah, you want, as a husband, you want respect, and your wife wants to feel loved, deep down base level desire. We want to feel loved, and our wives want to feel respected too, but deep down base, like the motive, primary driver is I want to feel respected and she wants to feel loved. Yeah, the less you feel respected, the less inclined you are to show love to your wife, and the less she feels loved, the less inclined she is to show 
respect and it just sort of drives you guys apart. It's a wedge between you guys. And a lot of what goes on in homes is power struggles and uh, struggles for control and an adversarial relationship. And in Daddy Tried, Tim has a story about this exact sort of thing where his youngest son was just a problem child who was having behavioral issues absolutely everywhere. And there was nothing that could be done about it. And they doubled down on discipline and doubled down on discipline and doubled down on discipline to no result until an elder's wife came to Tim and was like, hey, here's an idea. Your son needs you. And you've actually not been giving him time and talking to him and listening to him and investing emotionally in him. And he started talking with his son and listening to him and having conversations and caring about the fact that he was into sports, which is something that Tim wasn't into and all kinds of stuff like that. And the next thing you know, the behavioral issues just resolve. And at the end of the day, what actually mattered, the discipline matters, but discipline matters only in a context where there is love and affection and attachment, where there's an orientation of the child's heart toward you. Mm. Otherwise, it becomes a power struggle, <laughs> an issue of control. And that's why a lot of families end up feeling like discipline doesn't work and why there are all kinds of studies out there about how, how and why discipline doesn't work, but they don't examine the larger context, <clears throat> hmm. which is all, uh, a lot of discipline occurs in a context of power struggles and control struggles and things like that, and not in a context of love and a strong relationship and attachment. And it's also why some families that don't have or seem to have a strong commitment to discipline can still have a sweetness about them because they do have that focus on love and attachment and things like that. So yep. anyhow, it's that uh, it's sort of a roundabout non-answer to, to the question, but it is, yeah. I think, if you just go again to Proverbs or to Scripture, it is the most foundational thing, right? Give me your heart. My son, give me your heart. Right. And that constant appeal, listen Listen yeah. to what I have to say. Don't turn away from my teaching. Yeah. Don't turn aside to women, son, and don't turn aside to violent men. Mm -hmm. Keep your heart close to me and close to my commandments and close to uh, wisdom. And the whole book of Proverbs is the father is Solomon transferring his son's hearts from himself to God directly and to That's right. God's wisdom. Right. And so the whole book is instruction. The whole book is a transfer of you're becoming a man, but don't ever let go of the heart of what I've ever taught you. And don't turn around as I begin to let go and orient your heart to violent men and fools or to evil women, because they'll come and they'll just try to step into my spot. And that spot actually only belongs to God, fear the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so keep, keep that, the way that I've taught you, keep me and your mother as your compass that's pointing you to God. And don't let yourself be suddenly sucked mm -hmm. into the peer gang yeah. group of violent <coughs> men and fools or evil loose women. Mm -hmm. And that's just like the foundational, Yeah, that is Proverbs. And so yeah. that's all an attachment theory book like this one is focused on is your kids should be oriented to you instead of to... Mm -hmm. Right. Their peers and to, and it'll actually allow them to grow and mature emotionally and become healthy and be able to have healthy relationships with peers and healthy relationships with the opposite sex in due time. Right. So. Right. No, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, it, 
to to look at it from a or to take a different angle of it and just apply it it all leadership I mean all Christian leadership is supposed to be the kind of authority that actually knows their people has their people's hearts has trust you know Jesus says the Gentiles like to lord it over each other but it's not so with you it, it's the idea that God actually understands us and wants us to understand that he understands us like he knows our needs and weaknesses and you you Jake just preached through a sermon on who is Jesus Christ and you made a big point of how Jesus was a man and knows us and has been through what we've been through and can empathize. Yeah, the authority that we have is one that has actually gotten down on our level. That's right. Is what is absolutely unique about about Christianity is the simple fact that heaven came down to earth, that Jesus came down, got on our level and walked through everything that we've walked through. Right. Is God holy and transcendent and far above and beyond all mm-hmm. comprehension and above us? Yes. He's also meek and gentle and lowly and lower than we are and was born and walked and experienced the full range of human experience, mm-hmm. top to bottom. And we actually can't, in our zeal to maintain the holiness of God, we can't let go of that. <laughs> right. That, that, second, that second truth that we become just as much a heretic as the kind of person who denies the holiness of God. Right. Or in our in our desire to maintain Jesus's knowing us and and loving us and building trust, we can't become uh, proponents of servant leadership because <laughs> that's where my <clears throat> mind goes. You're gonna you're gonna fall off a a ditch, fall off the cliff, I guess, into one ditch or the other. Yeah, C.S. Lewis has a great thing in Mere Christianity that's always stuck with me, where he talks about how some people are offended at the idea of Jesus being God and want him to just be human and just be relatable. And mm-hmm. he says, would you be offended if you were drowning and somebody was standing on solid ground and had the advantage over you and wanted to help you? Mm-hmm. Would that be offensive to you? <laughs> Isn't it good that that person has, and it's actually a great metaphor because the one thing that you're not supposed to do with drowning people is jump in and drown with them. Uh-huh. Right. That's right. You cannot save somebody by just jumping into the water with them. You have to... <laughs> They'll throw you down and you'll both drown. Then, then, yeah. It's called servant leadship. It's, it's self, called, self-sacrificing. Right, <laughs> right. I need to be there, drowning with there. my yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think you take that and then you realize God was... Jesus did have advantages. He was God. He, he is transcendent. He is bigger than us. And God had the kindness of, mm-hmm. of giving us a God of, of being a God who, who condescends to us in that mm-hmm. way. If I can talk about it like this, it's not strictly necessary that he condescend, but it is kind. Mm-hmm. It is kind. And of course it is necessary because it's in his character and blah, blah, right. blah. But and it speaks to his character. Right. And it's through that condescension that he saves us. So right. In that sense. <laughs> yes. For, for our soul's sakes. <laughs> yes. I'm making a small non-theological point. I, I when understand. I say, don't hear what I'm not saying. Should we talk about, I want to talk about Dale Carnegie, but maybe we should talk about Relentless real okay. quick. Relentless is a book that I picked up because I was looking for something that might be fun and motivational. My oldest son is going into high school and we are uh, going to the gym and lifting a couple days a week and doing some other things. So I was like, well, what would be a fun thing to listen to on the way to and from the gym? I know. The, guy, the trainer who trained Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and Dwayne Wade 
that might be cool. Like that might be exciting. That might be motivating to hear this guy who turned, helped those men become elite athletes at their sport. So it's called Relentless from Good to Great or something dopey like that, or from Good to Great to Unstoppable. There you go. And so I started listening to that book with with Peter on the way to and from the gym. And uh, there may be a lot to talk about or maybe not a lot to talk about with that book. It is probably one of the most evil books I've ever read. And that's how I feel about it. And I don't know how much of that's personal and how much of it isn't. It's hard for me to, to really say or detach myself. But if you remember... If you uh, ever listen to The Ville and remember Pastor Sue's riff to Erica in the desert about embracing the sickness, the disease, that is all that Tim Grover is. And he manages to be much more evil and dare I say demonic about it. <laughs> I didn't expect you to say this about this book. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't expect the book to be that way. The book has a ton of really great practical knowledge and wisdom about uh, mental toughness and about what it takes to succeed. And as uh, does, by the way, if I may, Pastor Stu. As does Pastor Stu. Exactly right. right. You could go, and it's why a guy like Pastor Stu can be, Stu can be so compelling. You can go to his church and he's actually going to give you as much or more real, practical, even biblical life wisdom than a much better man. I think it's confused some people about the way we've written Pastor Stu because they'll be like, well, what was wrong with what he just said? There must have been something. It sounded good to me. That's exactly right. That's exactly the point. Everything he said was good right there. Yeah. He's a very savvy, smart, insightful man. Yeah, because he's incredibly motivated and driven to succeed in life. And so he's found what works. He's a, he's a, he's a heat-seeking missile for what works. And that means that he's able, Mm -hmm. it's why Stephen Furtick can be so compelling. Stephen Furtick, any number of clips you listen to from him can be like, oh, that's really great. Uh, I'm bringing this up because there are a couple people in our church who have in the last couple months realized or a year or however long it's taken that actually Stephen Furtick's really bad, right? But he, Hmm. when I preached the sermon in that same series you're talking about on Jesus being our prophet. Mm Mm-hmm. Somebody came up and was like, yeah, this really helps you understand what's so bad about Stephen Furtick. But the problem with Stephen Furtick is that he has such great, compelling, practical wisdom that can be distilled into a really punchy little one-minute clip. Mm-hmm. And it's not all bad. It's not all bad. Some of it can be really helpful or insightful. It's just mingled with a whole bunch of other garbage that is is in fact evil. And, mm-hmm. and, and well-meaning Christians can go and listen to any number of things by Stephen Furtick. And because God is kind and the Holy Spirit is powerful, come away with the good and not always take away the poison. But Tim Grover, mm-hmm. I think, okay, so here's, here's the thing. You have all this sort of practical life wisdom type stuff, but then his whole, his whole, like the essence, if you got down to it, of what really makes you and drives you to be elite. It is you have to be, you have to give in to the dark side. And that is his way of talking about it. And it is like Palpatine talking to Anakin Skywalker in the most gross types possible, except much more compelling and slick. It is you have innate in you. We are 
We are man. We have evolved over thousands of years. We have overcome and built civilization in the face of chaos, in the face of predators, because, and we have deep innate in us a dark side that is predatory and violent and relentless and unstoppable. And it is connected to all of our baser desires. And civilization wants to tame you and tell you to have self-control and tell you to, to, to kill those things. And I'm here to tell you that the secret to success is letting them run wild, tapping into them, harnessing them, and controlling them. Your desire for sex, for power, for violence, every base desire deep inside of you that you know is there, that you pretend is not there, that you lie to yourself about, that you hide to tell yourself that you're a good person. Guess what? You're not a good person. Inside you is a desire for blood a desire for sex, to rape, to pillage, to destroy, and you have to embrace it because that's who you are. You have to accept it. That's who you are. And if you accept that and you let it loose and can channel it towards one end and make that your one obsessive drive and ambition, all of the animal dark side energy inside of you, all of your depravity, if you can focus it on a single point, channel it on a single point and be driven by that day in, day out, night after night, nonstop. That's what you have to do. You don't like that I have it, that that's what I have to say? It scares you? Okay, success isn't for you. You're a wuss. You don't have what it takes. I'm talking to the people that will hear me. I'm talking to the people that know. I'm talking to the people that are willing to be driven to that level of success. You have to open yourself up to your depression. And so it's just like, it's like a, a tutorial in opening yourself up to, in selling your soul and being driven by the demonic, Man. by the evil inside of you. And, and, and he's like, of course these guys, every one of these guys is gonna have a vice that they have as a secondary outlet. For Jordan, it was gambling. For other people, it's sex. Guess what? Kobe Bryant ha- was accused of rape multiple times. Like these guys all have this sort of thing. And this is the price. The minute that you are willing to do what it takes to be great, you open yourself up to vulnerability. You have to find ways to channel and you're going to have a secondary outlet. But you should never be surprised when somebody who's really, truly successful, and we never are, we're never truly surprised to find out that Donald Trump or that any anyone mm-hmm who is really, truly successful, has some deep scandalous obsession, secondary outlet for their baser desires. It's just the way it works. And we should accept it and celebrate it and take the bad with the good because you don't get the good without the bad. It's the price. It's the cost. You don't have a Hollywood without... He wouldn't wouldn't say this, but you don't have Hollywood without pedophilia. He's not going to say that out loud, but it's just sort of like, that's the implication. Mm -hmm. That's the implication. Whatever it takes to drive you forward. Yeah, it's really twisted. It's really twisted and it's really evil. So I started listening to this book, not quite knowing what I was getting into. It's like, oh, the trainer of Michael Jordan. On the other hand, I do know Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant because that's the mentality that I grew up with. Not on that explicit of a level, uh, but just that sort of like get angry, be driven, be monomaniacal. Be like Mike. Be like Mike. Yeah. Do, 
you make it, you, you you don't bend to anyone else. You make them bend to you. You don't solve the problem of how to beat them. You make them solve the problem of how to beat you. You don't accept it, anything less than the best from your teammates and you hold them to that standard and you drive, you pummel them into the ground until they give you what you, that whole, that whole mindset mentality actually is incredibly emotionally stunted and immature and un- unhealthy. And I mean, just look at Michael Jordan, go watch the last dance and look at what he is and what he's become. He, he has nothing now. He has no relationships. He has no friendships. He has no one. No, he's just, uh, he makes me think of Citizen Kane towards, mm. towards the end of Citizen Kane's life when he's just the sad man in a mansion huh. with servant. He's gained the whole world, but lost his soul. Exactly right. <laughs> and that's what, mm. that's what's become of Michael Jordan. And just a guy with a glass of bourbon or whatever it is and, and a, a cigar, cigar recounting how great he is glories from 20 years ago. Still working to maintain the mythos and the legend yeah. and, and build it because it's all he has to hold on to. So, hmm. we hit up against the real deep dark side stuff just a couple days ago and I stopped it and just, it's like progressively getting more uncomfortable and twisted and so I stop it and I start talking about how evil it is and I hope that it's going to be a quick one-two punch and it it's not. It just keeps getting worse and worse to the point that it's like, all right, next mm-hmm. chapter. It's just evil. And so, we just stopped. Well, I think it's such a compelling worldview. It is so enticing because it makes so much more sense than namby-pamby, new age, let's all love each other garbage. Yep. It make it explains the world so much better than <laughs> any other pagan worldview. It's the only right. pagan worldview that actually makes any sense outside of Christ. Inside, take, take what you want. Yeah. Inside of, inside of Christ, it's and inside of reality, inside of truth, it's ridiculous, demonic, depraved, and terrible. And just pure self-destruction, actually. And, and pure self-destruction. There is no way to channel your dark side without it consuming you. Even the pagans know that. Um, Citizen Kane does lose his soul. Scarface loses his soul. These movies always have a lot of fun in the middle. And then Anakin they, Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker. He lost his soul, but uh, he got it back. Yeah, his son saved him. His son saved him. But, uh, you know, he went through life as a mutilated freak for a long time and had a really boring fight yeah. at a quarry. Yeah. Yeah, but he also mercilessly killed random peasants on his way there. Yeah, yeah, not not something you want to live with. <coughs> but it is compelling and I think young immature conservative Christians, men find this very compelling and exhibit A your honor the stupid movie the Northman, the Northman that which is just this brutal violence in service of self actualization, actualization and very blatantly this and people are fawning all over finally a manly movie finally a movie about what it takes to protect your family it's like shut up this is demonic crap like (laughs) this is moronic yeah it's the same thing with uh david goggins being exalted as a conservative sort of hero right david goggins is a deeply broken person and i don't want to minimize the success and all that he's done to overcome where he came from. Mm-hmm. The kind of man who grew up with his dad pointing a gun at his head, like he's messed up. Right. And he's found a way to tap into, but he talks about it in almost the same terms as Grover. It's just the life story version of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The read his biography, Can't Hurt Me, and you'll be inspired. And also, if you have any inclination towards 
being a, a biblical, mature, emotionally mature person, you'll understand how twisted he still is and how bent and messed up and unhealthy mm-hmm. what he approaches everything is. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Well, I really think that there's a, there's a bearded post mill version of this philosophy that masquerades as, and, and I don't have problems with beard and I don't, I am post mill. Okay. But there, there is this young, immature Christian version of this where they would say they're just reclaiming biblical masculinity, but actually they're sanctifying pagan bloodlust and aggression and yeah. sexual dominance mm-hmm. and and it's gross and we shouldn't have anything to do with it and just because you've been raised without a father and you feel impotent doesn't mean you need to grab onto to that i yep. mean it's so the devil wants to be your father turns out yeah yeah i mean that's a real thing yeah but he's also the father of lies Hey guys, I hate to say it, but we are out of time for the day. So, listener, go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity, sign up to support this podcast and the other work that we do. You can be a part of our Discord and get other cool benefits. And we'll be back with part two of this Sanity Shelves next week. Until next time, stay sane.